Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store. Like now, go. Three great words. Free fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Bell one time on Friday. Set participating McDonald's through 1231-24. Excludes tax. Must update to rewards. Hello and welcome to the BBC Good Food Podcast with me, Tom Kerridge. Hello, I'm Orlando Murren and I'm hosting the BBC Good Food Podcast with Tom Kerridge. Tom and I are talking today about cooking in peculiar circumstances, dangerous circumstances, odd circumstances, unexpected circumstances, anywhere apart from a regular kitchen. So any uh, any oddities happened in your life, Tom, recently? To be honest, my whole career has all been built on cooking in kitchens that you build around different sections of going, okay, this is where the starters are done. This is where the pastry is done. This is where you cook the meat and fish. And this is what the more, um, the only times that I've started cooking is cooking outdoors where you're like at home and at barbecues and things like that and other people's houses. But then uh, actually the more and more that I've done in terms of television and media and travel and those sort of things. All of a sudden, then you find yourself thrown into different circumstances. And then also, we have an event company. So uh, you end up doing events where you start doing, you're cooking in tents for big weddings and you start. So it's only the last uh, probably five years that I've started becoming a little bit more uncomfortable about the place that I'm cooking. So yeah, there's been lots of various different places, but I have to be honest, the most frightening place you could ever cook is live television. Like no matter what you talk about, like, because you, you, you know, whether it's um, first thing on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning shows, those are the shows that where, where you're, cooking live and you go on there or you you take dishes that you feel that you can get done in time and the thing about live tv orlando you i mean you know you've probably done a few bits and bobs of it yourself and conversations and 
they, they have to run to a timescale. They can't overrun. <laughs> you know, the news is coming up. The news isn't going to wait for you to finish cooking your sausage roll, is it? So you've got to. So it, you you think you've got nine minutes, but by the time you get to your section on the TV show, you've actually now told you've only got seven and a half. So then all of a sudden you're like flustered, and as you're cooking, people are then like talking to you and interviewing you and this whole thing is like it suddenly becomes this race against time and then you're also very conscious that over a million people are watching it so it starts becoming this very frightening like experience of trying to get it done and once you get it done you put it up there and you go ah like that and somebody eats your food whether it's phil and holly whether it's james martin whether it's matt tebbett whether it's simon rimmer and they go oh yes delicious and but deep down you're thinking that's not delicious i've tried throwing that out in seven and a half minutes as best as i can so that those are the most frightening experiences is live TV every single time. They always do say it tastes delicious, which is very nice of them. Of course they do. It's television. <laughs> you know the world of television. It's fluff and niceties where people just say lovely things. They're not going to go, actually, this is this is this is dirt. It's rubbish. <laughs> like, why haven't you? There's too much salt in it or it's not seasoned enough. Or or sometimes, I mean, I remember going on Saturday Kitchen in the early days, um, maybe 10 plus years ago, when you used to go and try have to do the omelette challenge, you know, where you try and get it cooked, the omelette, as quickly as possible. I mean, there'd be points where you're looking at that going, you're like, James Martin should not be in this he should <laughs> he should not be trying to like that that's still liquid so yeah there's and they go mm, yeah l- nice it's like, it's not it's not it's there's there's lots of circumstances where you're ending up going this this isn't the this isn't the best it could be on television there are always so many people around you that that don't appear on screen that's what one of the things that phases me about cooking on TV is all these people milling around uh, all these helpers but they're not helpers they're just making it making more difficulties for you keeping you up to time telling you which <laughs> camera you're meant to be looking at yeah but uh, see you think you're there for the cooking bit but you're not you're there of part of, of what is a much bigger production I mean it's the same as this you know the, people may be listening to this thinking that there's me and you just sat in a room talking whereas there's another three or four people that are uh, you know working the same making sure that we're not saying anything daft making sure that it's all I mean this is signalling this is, us uh, just giving yeah. us signals yeah. waving telling us we're doing it wrong telling you that you've talked too much Orlando <laughs> we've run out of time but it is it's the same as television there's so many people that are uh, trying to get this infrastructure in place and then what's going to happen next and what are we moving on to and because it's live television like it, it's it's almost like this theater that goes on this dance that people this routine that they're doing because they do have to get off at 12 o'clock because it is going straight to the news you know there it has to be run at a particular time so there is always a lot of people involved in tv that are trying to make it work but that that is probably the most frightening place that i've cooked i think the news people get get used to doing it to time and of course they're live and all they all they have to do is talk or read or or think of something to say whereas the cooking as well is seriously worrying because however well prepared you are you've actually got to do something in front of the cameras and have some result haven't you yeah absolutely and i've co- i covered for james martin a couple of times when he was on saturday kitchen i did i did a couple of saturday shows and it was it is one of the most highly skilled bits of cookery that you can come across for somebody like james you look at him and you go you know he's he he's somebody that we've seen on our tv screens for well over 
over 20 years now. And he's a great cook and, a, and he's a brilliant, brilliant chef. And his food knowledge is so vast because he's got 20 plus years of talking to people from all different kind of backgrounds and culinary styles that, you know, he pieces together and he learns, he absorbs. But actually, one of James's biggest and best skill sets is that ability to be able to interview, talk, listen to, you know, respond like a proper conversation and cook a dish and explain it at the same time, like this whole kind of piecing it together. I mean, he's he's a world-class expert at it. And and I remember covering him for the first time and I remember that that, that music starting. Uh, there's somebody, like you say, there's somebody there going, three, two, one, and it's live on air. And I, I wanted the world to swallow me up. I just wanted to disappear. I just felt thinking, oh my God, there's all of these camera people, there's all of these things. And now I've got guests I've got to interview. But at the same point, I got to chop an onion, not cut my finger. I've got to do, I've got to cook a piece of sea bass. I've got to do it. Like, and all of these things, it starts become it becomes really overwhelming. You've got to really stay on top of it. But you know what? Before you know it, an hour and a half is just gone. It's got it's gone in what feels like two minutes. It's just pow, gone. And you just come. I can't believe that. I, I can't believe that was just gone. Did it go all right? Did I burn myself? Did I, I like it? it it's, it's such a crazy kind of situation. And the relief when it's over is enormous when you've actually lived through that and come out the other side. It's yeah, massive, tremendous strain. Massive. It makes it, yeah, yeah. You do, you do, I do. And I take my hat off to everybody who does that week in, week out live television cookery. Well done to them. But recorded TV cookery, that's that's a different kettle of fish, isn't it? Because you can go back and, that, and, you, and they can take it from different angles. And you don't even have to do it all yourself, do you? No, that's it. So you, you're in a studio. I mean, we're talking about places where, 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 where you cook that's not your own kitchens or slightly weird or circumstantial. But the, the houses that we normally cook in for, for television shows are people's houses. They, they all, you know, quite often people go, oh, your house is lovely. Your kitchen's really nice. We go, Thank you very much. It's not mine. You know, you rent, we rent these houses. Most houses are, you know, that whether it's Nigella's, Mary Berry's, mine, you know, whoever it is that you see cooking on TV, they're not our real house they are somebody else's house every now and then jamie does his at home in like his outdoor kitchen by his barn but most of it is is done in rented houses and that's again is quite a weird sort of situation that you find yourself in that people dress you dress their houses to be like a set to feel like it fits into the connection of the tv show and you're trying to cook and i mean you're essentially taking over someone else's house for for a week or two whilst filming filming a show and it's that again is quite a weird setup it's quite a fun it's a fun thing to do but you're right you can take lots of different camera angles you can do lots of th- different kind of moves you can repeat it if you get it wrong if it's burnt if it's whatever you can do it all over again you haven't got that escape route in live TV. Yeah, and someone else can cook that bit for you if if necessary. If they haven't got the onions frying and it hasn't got the hands in it, someone else can fry a That's few it. onions, can't they? You have and something called swap outs. So where people have got so if you're doing a braised casserole, you've already you know, you're doing a beef stew, you're making a beef stew, you're having a go at making a beef stew, and you say you sear all the meat up and you put the stock onto it, bring it up to boil and put it in the oven for four hours. We don't turn the cameras off for four hours and wait you know, sit around what we do. There's one already done. So you swap it out. So go in here. Here's what it looks like afterwards. Do you know what I mean? Which is why you can't do beef stews really on live television unless you're doing the same sort of thing. I did this one four hours ago and then you remove the lid and go, there you go. So so it's all kind of, that's again structured in a bit of a dance routine. You understand what's going on, but it hasn't got the same pressures at all. And there's someone else to to set up the one that needed doing four hours as 
a go, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, there's normally well. three or four people that are yeah, setting up yeah. the dishes, making it all work. There's, yeah, there's a huge amount. And you haven't ever injured yourself or, you know, dropped something on live TV? or Because there have been famous cuts in history. I think Robert Carey did a or galloping gourmet, gave himself a very nasty wound once, didn't he, on black and white TV? Yeah, fortunately not. I haven't had the cut myself one. I've been quite lucky with live TV that there hasn't been anything major that's gone wrong with me cutting myself burning myself I mean if I cut myself and burn myself I, I, I'd be I'd rather happier do that than burn the thing that I'm actually cooking so so no but I'm quite lucky that I haven't that hasn't happened to me yet but you we have seen it happen many a time you see lots of things kind of happen of th- things that aren't right particularly if you're a chef and you're watching it you go oh no that's not right that shouldn't be like that but you you know I've been very lucky in that world. And you're handling unfamiliar equipment, so you know you're more likely to cut yourself on a, on a knife that isn't yours, aren't that, you? That's exactly. Um, it. And what about festivals where you're cooking live in front of crowds? Yeah, so you do cookery demonstrations. So I've done a few of those. So at BBC Good Food Show, you know, we always do, which is a great gig to do. And um, I, I remember the early years doing one of those about seven or eight years ago. So you get you get the setup, you get the cookery setup, and you get the, there's the super theatre one which is where there could be like up to a thousand people that are watching you do a cookery demonstration you've got ones that are closer by um now i remember when i first started doing a bit of cooking um in front of live audiences i i, I think it was just after winning great british menu and i was doing i was cooking on it might have been the saturday kitchen stage which was quite a small stage where people were quite close up to you um and i remember seeing it might have been the hairy bikers it might have been um Nigella, it might have even been Jamie on the super theatre with thousands of people watching him and thinking, well, God, that looks terrifying. I don't fancy doing that. I quite quite happily stick to cooking in front of 100 people here, like as they're milling around the floor. Um, But I remember the setup and I remember the the thermometer in the oven had broken, but we, nobody knew it. So instead of it being set at 180, it just continued to rise. So it was about <laughs> 300. So I remember putting something into the oven and then 15 minutes taking it, later taking it out and it was black. It was just absolutely burnt. And, 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 and there's nowhere to hide then. I mean, I don't, well, you take it out of the oven and it's burnt and you just got to go, well... It's not supposed to look like that. There, there we are. I mean, we all have these days. But the good thing about that is that people recognise, like even chefs, we still do burn stuff. Things do go wrong. You know, people's ovens break. People do burn things. These sort of things happen. It's just very unfortunate when it happens in front of a live audience. And they do love it when something goes wrong. Yeah. Uh, we used to do them for, for the BBC Good Food Show. And we used to build in the odd kind of hesitation of, oh, perhaps it's gone wrong, just to give a free song round the around the audience because they do they like things to stick they like to see you in a really tight corner yeah where you can't get an omelette out of a pan where you get where the souffle yeah. hasn't risen where, where yeah where, where, where you something might be stuck whether yeah all of those sort of things yeah and it's nice to kind of feed the audience that sort of thing and, but also okay. it's it's real because those are the stresses that people have Every, everybody has those stresses when you're cooking at home you know you're, you're worried that these things aren't going to work you know every oh, will it come out of the pan you know the bit where you, it doesn't matter 
matter what the dish is, there's always something you're going to cook that you put the plate on top of yeah. a frying pan and you got to yeah. flip it over. Whatever, it, you know, <laughs> you know, the, all of those the, those little bits of jeopardy they, they they exist in cooking, and that's what makes cooking great fun as well. Those are the sort of things you go, yay! That sense of excitement once it's done, they're great. I remember I was I was making a chocolate tort once, and someone had set it up for me the the shell with foil, and they put this kind of chocolate crust into the foil and hadn't greased the foil and so I had I had to turn it upside down and then the, it was obvious that the foil wasn't going to come off and of course everyone, they're all leaning forward all the audience and I'm picking it up I thought to myself I am just going to pick off every bit of this foil and oh you're going to have to wait audience so it took me about five minutes and tiny bits of fawn I was picking off the fawn but I got there in the end I've got to say that does sound like the dullest cookery demonstration ever <laughs> I tried to talk while it was happening but it was it was horrible and I was like a cold sweat was this foil going okay, to come on as you can imagine words were said afterwards to the person who hadn't greased, <laughs> yeah. greased the fawn yeah did you fire them on the spot <laughs> they, we, weren't, they weren't in my employ to do that yeah. but I was it could have been sabotage actually <laughs> by a jealous rival but um, you're right the, the, those festivals things are really they are good because they create the energy the beautiful thing about cooking in front of people whether it whether it's things like the the good food show or whether it's whether it's like the pub in the park festival that we do where where you're cooking on fire pits there's that set there's always that sense of jeopardy but you're you're connected to people it's not like watching television it's not like you know there is there is there is disconnect with tv you enter into a world that's the other side in a festival environment, you're there, you're right with the person, you're living it as it's happened. It's, things are being cooked in real time. You know, you, you you have that sense of purpose, that sense of the smell you can see, you can everything that's going on. So it, the, the great thing about cooking in festivals is, is it, yes, when you do demonstrations, you've got to, I've learned further down the line now that you take plenty of things, you're fully prepared, you know what you're going to do. And what most people want with an audience point it's conversation. They want to learn. The, the cooking thing that they can see, there's no point in going out there and doing a dish that we would do in a Michelin-style restaurant because actually no one's taking that on board. No one's going to go in and replicate that because they haven't got seven chefs in their brigade at home, have they? You know, they just go, they want to know, all right, how do I get a great roast potato? Let's talk through roast potatoes. Let's talk through how do we cook a medium-rare steak and those are sort of things. So the moment that you start connecting and talking and becoming, you make it feel quite organic and real and because everybody's in it in real time, it then becomes exciting and it's fun and it's vibrant. You learn the more you do it, the better it is to talk more, cook less, put stuff up and, and, and engage as well. And give yourself less to do. Don't do a really complicated dish. Yeah, it's always easier to fill it with talking and asking questions than it is with having to re-chop or, as you found out, peel foil off a <laughs> chocolate fondant. <laughs> um, I have to say I'm quite relieved when the food from a demonstration isn't served to the audience. So if you have a, if you have a small demonstration... <laughs> Sometimes they get to eat. And, of course, it's not. One, one's done one's best in the circumstances. But to my horror, I did one in the in the summer at the Dartmouth Food Festival where I put this steak dinner out and they raffled that steak dinner. I think they got 30 quid or something for charity for this 
plate of steak and I thought, I do hope it's all right in there because it was rather, you know, happy-go-lucky the way it was cooked. And did they enjoy it? Um, uh, history, well, there weren't any, it wasn't in the newspaper that anyone died. There you go, could that. have been the best £30 <laughs> they've ever spent. Charity, a charity one, they got a steak dinner, no one died, it's all all right. It was just rather alarming for me. I'd rather it was put in the bin, really, because also there's a lot of handling that goes on in demonstrations. There's a lot of people handling food. It's very difficult to keep it to the same standard as you keep it in your kitchen or as I keep it in my kitchen at home. Yeah, but you do want the energy levels, don't you? That You're always trying to create excitement because there's nothing worse. Like, I mean, it takes me back to being at school. <laughs> there's nothing worse than going there and listening to someone tell you something that's dull with no energy. That You're just sat there like, for me, I, I, I started looking out the window. You know, I didn't bother with me GCSEs. That's absolutely fine. That's why I'm a chef. However, so I've learned that maybe engaging and having conversation and cr- trying to create an energy is really good because, you know, getting people involved, getting them to taste something, asking them what they like, what do they want, you know, who does this, what's their favourite thing to uh, So all of a sudden, the moment that you get people vibrant around it, you get... I'd rather have a 20-minute short, sharp cookery demonstration that's exciting and people can take three or four things away. One thing, if they take one thing away from a cookery demonstration that improves their cooking, that's great. On the question of cooking in odd circumstances, I wondered if you'd ever had to cook or tried cooking on unusual pieces of equipment, like the old salmon in the dishwasher trick. Have you ever tried that? Not salmon in the dishwasher, no. I've heard about that one a few times, but it's not one I've ever... I've Not one that I've ever... I don't quite understand why... If you've got a dishwasher, (laughs) right, that could fit a whole salmon in, I don't understand why you're not just poaching it on the stove or through the oven. Why would you put it in the dishwasher? I mean, it just... (laughs) Oh, I, I, I can understand that because you just turn it on and it comes out cooked. Only, of course, it doesn't. D- d- have you tried it? <laughs> I've I've tried it. I did try it. Yeah, I've tried. You it. I've also salmon in a dishwasher. Yeah, I tried. It doesn't cook. Oh. And then we tried it at the magazine. Can we? Can we? Yeah, are we having that recipe in the next magazine? <laughs> I think the problem dishwasher is dishwasher salmon. That dishwashers have different cycles, don't they? They have the the cool cycle to clean the glasses or the hot cycle and you need to establish quite what temperature your dishwasher is going to run run at and whether it's going to cook the salmon through anyway the salmon did not cook in the dishwasher i tried it myself and then we tried it officially at the magazine to see if we could do it i, I can't believe that this is actually a real conversation <laughs> that we're having <laughs> it would you, be great I, if it worked <laughs> however so i did i have done something equally as bizarre um and it was for um bbc top gear um, so it was when Chris Evans was running it a few years ago when he was presenting it. And we did a trip from, um, we had to go from Paris to the south of France. He picked me up in Paris um, with, uh, there was Matt LeBlanc and somebody else. It was Sabine. And there was three different chefs, me, um, Ollie Deboo, and I think it was Tom Kitchen. And we had to put together a meal that we could cook in the car, in the engine. So so by the time you've driven from Paris to the south of France, that everything would be cooked. So uh, I did um, I did a, a lamb uh, thing wrapped in tin foil and some boulanger potatoes that kind of like stuffed it all into the engine, basically then got sat in the back of the car while Chris drove to the south of France for about six hours, uh, eating um, uh, jelly-like sweets and talking a load of rubbish and got to the end uh, at the hotel where we would have to cook, open up our dishes and see if it was cooked. And it was, um, it, it was, it, well, it was cooked. It was cooked. It just wasn't, 
wasn't it, it wasn't the best plate of food I've ever done. I have to be honest, but it was quite an interesting process cooking something in the oven of an old Jaguar. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole cookbook called Manifold Destiny, which is about cooking on a car engine. No but you, way. You need to work out. Well, the Avengers. I think in the Avengers with Diana, the old Avengers, Diana Rigg, they used to open the bonnet and there was a steak sizzling on part of the engine. But you need to work out what the hot spots are, and um, you wouldn't want to have something in the exhaust. Was your did your food taste of exhaust? Was that part of the problem? Yeah, it was a little bit like eating it in Phil's garage from EastEnders. <laughs> it was like it, it did feel. It was a bit diesel-y, I got to be honest. Yeah, it felt a little bit like that. Talking about that. I, I did once cook um, from a TV show. So if you heard of um, Pittsburgh Black and Blue Steaks? No, I have not. So you heard of Black and Blue, right? A steak cooked in the style of Black and Blue. Now that, that would be where the steel workers of Pittsburgh would take a piece of meat with them to work raw. And where they would work on this in the steel mills and the and the rolls and it would come out, the, the rolls of steel would come out where it would be so, so hot that when it was there at lunchtime, their thing their, their, where they would cook, they would take their piece of meat <laughs> out of their back pocket or wherever they stored it and put it onto the onto the um, steel that was so hot. It would sear it on one side and then blacken it one side, blacken it the other. And because it was so hot, they'd take it off. It would still be blue in the middle. So it's called a Pittsburgh-style black and blue steak. And I have done that once at a steel mill here uh, in the UK cooking for a TV show where I took a piece of meat and... Uh, uh, and I cooked it on the steel as it came out of the rollers. It was, I mean, it was incredible. I mean, it was amazing to do. I mean, super like, I mean, it, it, it's not the safest of things. I have to be honest, the steel is super hot, but it was a brilliant process. And understanding kind of like the history of something called why it's called a black and blue steak. So yeah, I've cooked, I've cooked a steak on that. Steak in the steel mill. Have you had any, apart from the um, the oven that carried on rising in heat, have you had any disasters that you're prepared to share? What, like standard cooking disasters? Yeah, some I mean, things where things have gone like, hor- horribly wrong. Not really horribly wrong. We've always had lots of things that don't work as you're trialling and erroring, but there isn't anything that... And, and do you know what? I think a lot of people would count everything that's gone wrong and is a major disaster. And that's the difference between being in a restaurant and being at home. Because when you're at home and you're cooking your Sunday lunch, right, if you get it wrong, that's your lunch done. But restaurants, we're cooking, we're trialling with dishes and playing around. And if you overcook a steak, you just cook another one. You know, you can just roll with with what's going on and what's what's happening um, because restaurants have, we have fridges full of food. So for our point of view, there's never really... So it's never really a mistake. It's only a mistake if you constantly keep doing it again and again, expecting the same result. You know, those are you. You learn what what happened here, what went wrong, what, and it's the same as at home where you go, okay, what happened here, what went wrong. However, that still means that you haven't got lunch. So it's much more. It's much, there's much more of a jeopardy thing that goes on at home, isn't there? Yeah, I I remember having to cut through a, for guests having to cut through a power cut, which was very very difficult because I had to kind of rig up a gas cooker and the worst was our water was cut off once when I was cooking for gas which was a horrible experience we had access to water because we had a swimming pool then we could wash up in the swimming pool which of course all got nicely filtered out afterwards but um, it was 
utterly intolerable to not to have water and not to be able to wash and it was the uh, when you turned the tap now nothing came out it was really rather I got to be honest horror I'm, movies I'm not quite sure what we've picked up on today but we we find out that Orlando used to cook in a restaurant with, with swimming pool water he would he, he would cook the salmon through the dishwasher and then he would and then he would wash up everything also in the swimming pool. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it, it's been a journey of, of uh, enlightenment for me, Orlando, about your culinary past. Shame, shame and discovery. It's time for Where Do You Stand On? Where do you stand on? Now, now I'm going to do a new thing now, Tom, where I call something out, a word out at you, and you have to say the first thing that comes into your mind. Okay. Am I being psychoanalyzed? Yeah, yeah. exactly. You're not allowed to think about it. And it can, it can be you like it or you hate it. It's entirely up to you. Okay. Picnics. Blanket. Sandwich toasters. Brilliant. What do you use them for? <laughs> what, sandwich, uh, toasting sandwiches. Like, I mean, cheese baked beans, amazing. That works really nicely. Do you really have one at home? Yeah, yeah, they're they're brilliant. They're, I mean, do you have a waffle waffle maker at home? No, I got one. We got we got a couple in in work, but I haven't got a waffle maker at home. No, but sandwich toasters are brilliant. Like, if you you need to experiment with putting some stuff in it as well, like you can go. Be, someone pointed out to me lasagna in a sandwich toaster, so leftover cooked lasagna into the sandwich. And but I was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, way too much in the way of carbs. But honestly, it was brilliant. Camping holidays. Oh, nightmare! Worst nightmare! Nightmare! <laughs> That's the word for that. I I, I I just don't. I kind of. And I know I'm bracing myself. So my son's six, and there's going to be a point where he starts going. And he wants to go at night and go. And you got, I got to brace myself for sleeping outside in a tent and doing what. And and I get it in a little, in a way, of, for his point of view of adventure. But I've got to a point in my life where I, you know, a hotel with a shower and a comfy bed and room service uh, and a kettle in your room that or and a telephone that you could say could I just get a mug of tea for two please and, and you know those sort of like the the idea of camping I think is is magical the reality of it is cold wet flies uh midges running out of gas for the camping stove uh uncomfortable night's sleep uh, wildlife, spiders, rats, badgers, foxes. <laughs> like, I, uh, for me, it, 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 it's not filling me with... It's, it wouldn't be my first choice of holiday, I've got to admit. And what about Beth? Would you send Beth off? Oh, that? my God, no. That, I mean, she'd hate even with that. It's like her worst night. If I sent Beth on a camping holiday, that's it. That's probably the last I'd ever see him. It'd be like Blair Witch Project. She'd come back and I'd be gone forever. She'd be like, no, never saw him. Well, Tom Carriage, thank you very much indeed for today's podcast and I'll look forward to seeing you at the next one. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to the BBC Good Food Podcast with me, Tom Kerridge. For more brilliant cooking advice, don't miss the quick bonus recipe episode, Let's Cook Together. See you next time. 